This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. and welcome back to another episode of Development Hell. For every horror title to hit VOD, there are going to be countless others that end up D-O-A. Development Hell is a podcast dedicated to unearthing these plagued horror productions to find out what went wrong and if they still got a shot at the green light. I am your host, Josh Corngut, and this podcast is brought to you by the Anatomy of a Scream pod squad. Anatomy of a Scream are a female-founded, queer-positive horror publication that focus on reviews and analysis from a feminist perspective. Today we're presenting a very special sequel episode to our Friday vs. Jason episode, which hit earlier this week. For this sequel episode, we're going to have an interview with filmmaker Justin McConnell. Justin is a filmmaker located in Toronto, Canada, whose previous works include Life Changer in 2018 and this year's documentary, Clapboard Jungle, which has played at Fantasia Film Festival, Sitges Film Festival, and a lot of others. Today we're going to be talking to Justin about how he feels about Freddy vs. Jason 2, and to dig into his own personal development hell, to find out if there are any projects that he had to leave behind, and if there are any dream projects that could be waiting for him in the future. Alright, thank you for listening, and enjoy this interview with Justin. So how are you doing in this uh, pandemic right now? Uh, I mean, I oscillate between losing my mind and, you know, keeping it together. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of us do. Uh, <laughs> but the reality of it is, is that it's a tough year for everybody. And uh, the perspective of that kind of puts me in a mindset that so many people have it even worse. And this is like a, a huge human-based worldwide period of strife in that I've realized that, you know, I, I've had to strip back a lot of the things I do in my life. I spend most of my time at home now, um, but I've tried to keep creative through the whole process. You know, I even had a feature film that is doing festivals right now and is, is out on release in various places. And uh, I haven't had a time to really stop and not continue to work and create and do things. So I, I've been really, uh, really lucky in that way in that I, I I've been able to keep my mind occupied enough that it isn't just crushing boredom and, and you know, waiting for the, you know, waiting for the, all of this to end. I've, I've been mm-hmm. proactively trying to keep myself, even if it's just from within my apartment for the most part. But I also, you know, we have endless entertainment options these oh, days, right? So, so I've got a massive video collection. I've got all the streaming services and, you know, PlayStation VR and books. And it, oh, yeah, me too. It's hard to be bored when you've got... <laughs> you're surrounded by the media that exists now. What are you watching? What are you watching like currently? (laughs) Oh, Jesus, dude. It's a long list. I, (laughs) highlights, uh, highlights. I don't need, oh, let's see. Really liking Lovecraft, Lovecraft country. I watch lots of horror anyway, but I'm doing the, uh, at least one horror movie a day thing for October. (sighs) It's just a fun way to pass time. So that list is incredibly long already. I've been watching a lot of weird cartoons like uh, Tig Tone, which is an adult swim series. That's just probably the most insane writing I've seen on anything, let alone an adult swim series. Primal, this other animated series that's like a Living Frazetta painting. 
I'm rewatching over uh, over the garden wall, which is like a really yes. good Halloween th- spooky themed. It's for kids, but it talks it it talks metaphysics and you know you know your place in in existence and things like that. It's 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 for kids, but it's for it's written so that adults can take something from it too. But like the horror the horror stuff this month, I'm bouncing all over the place. I, you know, I, I'll, I'll watch like Possession from you know from 1981. One day, and then the next day, I'm watching Ernest Scared Stupid. So it's like <laughs> I feel like Ernest is Scared Stupid is having a bit of a renaissance this year. I keep seeing things about it. Uh, it's always been one of my favorite Halloween movies. As I've never seen an Ernest movie. It, I, I the video boxes like really gave me like a weird feeling when I was five, and since then it's like what's what's a, it's like Uncanny Valley stuff in my heart, and I, I can't approach it. But oh, maybe maybe, maybe one day. I would say if you're gonna if you're gonna approach any of them though, you might as well start with Ernest Scared Stupid. Oh, it it has to be. Have, have you seen Killer Clowns from Outer Space? Like oh, a, uh, you know what? Not that long ago, but yes, I have. Okay, I so, was surprisingly scared by that. So it, the people that, who directed that, the Chiodo Brothers, did all the effects for Ernest Scared Stupid. So all the trolls are Chiodo Brother puppets. Okay, and, so that uh, explains my uneasiness. Yeah. But they also, because they had limited budget, there's a few background trolls that are just repainted killer clowns. Oh, I and love so that. You can pick out, you'd be like, oh, there's a killer clown. But Okay. Uh, are these the guys that did Critters too? I feel like I saw an interview with them at one point and they seem no. nuts. Yeah, I think that Chiodos worked on Critters for a bit. I know Chris I Wallace did. did. I feel no, like Chris did. Wallace did Gremlins. Um, remember what, yeah, I'm pretty sure that the Chiodos worked on one of the Critters. Maybe the I first have, And I have never seen them, actually. The Wow. I, I've never seen a Critters movie. I have to. And, no, and those for sure. So now, and there's like, it, it, Critters won't die. I have no, also no, never no. seen Ghoulies, which I almost am more interested in. Definitely the first two. As the underdog. Yeah. Definitely the first two are worth watching. For what, like, if you like little monsters and little puppets, I'm Do I'm I like little monsters? You know, I, you know who does little monsters as well as Guillermo del Toro? Oh, yeah. Um, like the little tiny monsters that, like, with the teeth and the crap. Did you mm-hmm. ever see, what was that one he produced when he didn't direct? Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. Oh, yeah. The Troy Nixie movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was very surprised that that was a bunch of little monsters at the end of the day. No, it was uh, super cool. Well, the original uh, was, was kind of little creatures, too. Oh, oh, yeah. I've never seen, it's still mind-blowing that he remade, was it a direct-to-TV movie from the 80s? Yeah, it was a, t- it was a, mo- it was a TV movie. This is but very cool. It was a different um, world back then, though. TV movies were, you know, there was the, technically um, Salem's Lots, a TV movie. Initially. Oh, Oh, of course. Like, I've never been able to get through the whole thing. <laughs> um, and to end off my tyrant about Little Monsters, uh, was it Hellboy 2 that he did it really? Yeah, they had the, uh, the little tooth fairies and stuff like that. I love that. The, yeah, I, I, I'm partial to those, but I definitely, I prefer the like tactile puppet little monsters, you know? Okay, yeah. yeah. Ooh, a trilogy of terror? Like, yeah, the, the Zuni fetish doll for sure. Just, yeah, something that you know is there on set in some way. That's why I like the Chucky series so much. It's, oh, it's the just Chucky the amount series. of puppeteering and work that goes into those movies. I mean, there's lots of other reasons to like it. Oh, they're incredible. Audience. I'm going to say, maybe right I need to rewatch them, but I feel like Curse of Chucky is my favorite as of right now. It's good. As of today. It's, it's scary. I, I was like, this. they made it scary again. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Um, I, anyway, there's a lot to talk about with that series. And oh, I, for sure. It kind of ties into Freddy vs. Jason. Oh, it does. We're, we're going to get to Freddy vs. Yeah. Jason. But before then, I, I want to ask, so you've had a feature in the film festival circuit this year, which is really, really exciting and cool. What is it like now, like going through the festival circuit in the age of COVID? Like, is it surprisingly helpful in some ways? It's pretty surreal. I mean, uh, first of all, I got to ask, can I swear on this podcast? Uh, oh, yeah. It's uh, pretty fucking surreal. <laughs> yeah. 
in a few different ways. Uh, the main thing is that there's no more, it's not, you don't get a physical premiere, right? Your stuff premieres on uh, a streaming site or on a broadcast television station or something. Like the way my, my film came out, we played, you know, the first festival we played was Canadian Film Festival and that was broadcast on Super Channel across Canada and that cool. like, you know, a paid cable station. Yeah. Um, so you, the first time anybody sees my movie, I'm alone in my apartment drinking a scotch or, uh, or you know, drinking a bourbon or a scotch and my boxer's going, well, gee, I hope, people liked it you get no real feedback aside from the odd message through facebook or you know whatever reactions there are on twitter so that whole ceremony of a bunch of people gathering together in a theater to usher this thing you've worked so hard on for so many years into into reality and that that elation of like you get that moment of of you've hit this this peak right and and it's you the feeling that it's totally done. You don't get that with the digital festival. Mm -hmm. So that's a difficult sort of thing because you don't do it for that. You don't do it for relation. You don't do it for, you know, people walking up to you afterwards or or the the crowd reaction or anything like that. All that stuff is kind of gravy, but it's definitely in my experience, just a really great moment to be in like uh, two Mm -hmm. years earlier without COVID, you know, when life changer was doing all those festivals and I was able to actually travel with it. That's a whole, whole other ball game really that's one one side of things but that festival in particular came with a broadcast sale from super channel that pretty much covered the entire budget of the movie out of the cool. first festival so it's like yeah in this specific case it's like you lose some things but you gain something else because the opportunity was there uh and then we did fantasia and fright fest and it's it, great it's it's playing and you know you get your press and you get your feedback but again i'm just in my apartment <laughs> like it's the same it's playing sit just right now which is a festival that i've wanted to go to my entire like for the longest time that's so most cool important yeah. genre festivals i'm in my fucking apartment so so you know i'm, I'm doing this great <laughs> festival tour I, I can't go to any of them you know i mean it saves you the plane ticket to uh yeah, yeah. spain it saves you the travel for <laughs> sure but i wanted i want to do the travel but that's a i gotta I admit that's like a I very know. privileged position to be in and even the filmmakers who are successful not all of them get to travel with their stuff but when the opportunity is there, it's nice. And yeah. uh, it, it's just a little weird to to do all of it remotely through screens. Oh, no, totally. Q and A's. It's like, <laughs> who's tuning into this? I can't really tell because I, I, you can't. Yeah, if yeah. they are. But you know what? Next time you'll be able to travel and you may be one of the only cycles that get to experience it like this, hopefully. Yep. So well, it's also cool. it's led to further sales. And like you, you we, some of the festivals do rev share. Uh-huh. Um, I got picked up by a, I can't talk about it yet, but a pretty major company for a lot of territories. And I think that came out of just because of the scenario we're in right now. It's like, uh, can you tell us a little bit about the feature that you've got out there right now? Cloudboard jungle is a survival guide for the modern independent filmmaker is the goal for it. Kind of, I kind of just starting in 2014, I was in a bit of a slump and I was, I knew it would be a while before I'd get any other movies made. So what I did was I bought a cheap camera and some audio gear and I, I decided to start self-financing and self-shooting a documentary in my spare time. I, since I really didn't have time to fully invest uh, and put a ton of money into like following around a different subject and anything like that, um, I went out and collected a ton of interviews over a four or five year period and I turned the camera on myself because the point of the documentary was to show the process of how you actually get a movie made. Mm-hmm. So uh, then it was just you know, collecting footage for years and years and years. And the film itself uh, that's doing the festivals right now is more the emotional side of things. Uh, there's definitely lots of information and educational stuff in it, but it's, 
it's the emotional side. It's, it's, you know, how or why you do this and how you stay sane and um, the kind of reality checks you got to give yourself and the ups and downs. And it's meant to be preparing people for the real world of indie filmmaking, at least from my perspective, or at least from the experiences I've had and the people I've interviewed had. Everybody's experiences are going to be different, but there, I feel like there's some universal truth to be taken out of, out of what is in the film. But then beyond that, we're working on post-production right now on a TV series version, which I'm not part of the story anymore. It's just the talking heads and every episode is a specific topic and it's meant to be like a film school in a box. Cool. So that's kind of what, what I did. But, you know, at my heart, I make horror movies for the most part. I, <laughs> I make other things, but, you know, I'll probably yeah. always keep coming back to horror. I, I love when people totally accept the fact that they're horror filmmakers and there's well, no apologies to be made. I, I, look, I'll put it this way. I, horror is probably going to be my home base, but I am going to take flights out of it from time to time. I have stories that aren't horror that are in me. They're mostly dark and weird, but they're not necessarily horror all the time. You know, it could, horror can mean so many things. Not everything I made has been horror either, really. Beyond the documentaries, even. Like, Broken Man <laughs> was like a drama thriller kind of thing. Well, I was so, going to ask you if you consider yourself a genre filmmaker, but I kind of think I get a sense of what you mean by that. <laughs> I'm not going to go out and say, like, I'm... I, I'm, Yeah, exactly. I'm not just a genre filmmaker, but I mm-hmm. definitely think that I'm, that's what I'm going to be most known for because it's what I'm going to be focusing on the most. Out mm-hmm. of the majority. At least at this point, that's the way I see it. I just wouldn't want to go forward and say, oh, I'm horror filmmaker Justin McConnell. It's like... Yeah, because they will pigeonhole you. But I, yeah, I feel, the business will do that because that's you know, what last success was. Yeah. It's every, you know, the biggest names in horror, a lot of them got pigeonholed, right? The music for the heart. Really the, the West Craven. Someone <laughs> really famous was supposed to be in that I was just reading and I totally forget. Madonna, maybe? or Yeah, whatever. Yeah, I think it went, well, wasn't she? No, it was like Meryl Streep or something. Meryl Streep. Yeah. No, she, I think she's in it, though. I think Madonna oh. was meant to be. Anyway, I can't remember entirely. Mm, but uh, George Romero was trying to get a, a movie about rhino. Uh, was it rhino or elephant hunting? Anyway, it was, he was trying to get, he, for years he was trying to get this thing made. And nobody wanted to finance it. You do get pigeonholed. Okay, uh, really pressing question. If you had to pick Nightmare on Elm Street or Friday the 13th franchise, where do you, you lie? Nightmare on Elm Street. Elm Street? Yeah. Thank God. I mean, uh, there's a surprising number of Friday the 13th people out there, but it's got to be Elm Street. The creativity is yeah. it's scary. It holds up in every regard. I like, I like Friday the 13th. I find that Friday the 13th movies end up spinning their wheels more often. And in terms of okay. rewatch value, they're just so invent. The Nightmare on Elm Street movies are just so inventive. I mean, there's parts that aren't as good as others, but even like Dream Child or part two, like part two is pretty solid, but like it's, it, I feel like it's the least, one of the least inventive of them. Simply oh, for sure. Of the, there was not as much dream stuff in it. I love Dream Child. I rewatched yeah. it not long ago and it's so baddie. It's They're all fun. Um, uh, you know, Freddy's dead. I every time I watch it, I think, "How bad can this be?" Yeah. <laughs> and then the answer is very, very. Yeah, well, fast. I, you know, I, I don't even, I don't even hate. I, I like all the Freddy movies, but like the the thing is, like Friday the Thirteenth, you you'd never get a new nightmare out of Friday the Thirteenth because it can't be as meta examine, like it can't be as self examining as a series as something like Nightmare, where you're dealing with actual level, levels of reality and the idea uh-huh. of what its storytelling is. And, you know, even the conversation of who would win in a fight, Freddy versus Jason, well, probably Freddy because he's an idea and you can't kill an idea. Uh-huh. Jason's uh, some kind of an entity. Like a, whether you go by the, you know, the Jason goes to hell rules where he's a body jumping little demon monster. <laughs> yeah. He's just some like unkillable zombie. He'll keep coming back, mm-hmm. but he's a physical entity. 
and Freddie yeah. can live on in one thought. So, oh yeah, Freddie doesn't have physics, so I feel like that really gives him a bit of an ump. I want to know what your thoughts on Freddy versus Jason is, but I more so want to ask you, like, do you remember what it was like waiting for that movie to come out? Like, were you feeling the, yeah. the anticipation for that as like, like a younger person? Yeah. I, I mean, was. I was a subscriber to Fangoria. So I, uh, they talked about the various incarnations of what could be quite a lot. Oh yeah. Uh, at the end of Jason goes to hell, obviously there's the, the Freddy glove grabbing the, the mask and pulling it down. Um, you'd hear about it on and on and on. And then, um, leading up to it, like once Ron, I knew Ronnie Yu was the director and mm-hmm. I really liked Bride with White Hair and Bride with White Hair 2 and mm-hmm. uh, what he did with Bride, Bride of Chucky. He's really into Bride movies for some reason. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, at least the, those three films. Um, okay. I knew he was going to have an inventive visual style and it would be like a, 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 a fun film because he, 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 he just has a really good eye for composition um, and just for like setting up set pieces and kills. Uh, and I don't think he disappointed me uh, leading up to it. Um, I do think there was so much anticipation in the horror community and even myself going into it, expecting it to be, who knows, you're always making the movie. If you're waiting for a movie for, for a decade, you've already made that movie in your head. Oh, so for sure. By the time you go see it, if it's not the movie in your head and you aren't able to detach yourself from the thought pattern that, oh, okay, I, this isn't what I expected. I could see somebody getting disappointed I you, don't, you don't have to answer this, but how old were you when it came out? Do you remember? 2003, so I would have been 21, 22. All right, so you, you might have had the ability to sort of gauge what was coming your way a little bit better at that age. Maybe. You know? uh, yeah, Maybe. I, was, I think I was like 13, and it was like, there could not have been a better age <laughs> for someone to watch that film. So are, I'm assuming you're familiar with the concept of Freddy versus Jason versus Ash that yes. was floated around. Yeah. Um, what are your like thoughts about that possibility of a sequel? Do you think that could have turned out? I mean, it would have turned out as a fun exercise in genre mashups, like bashing toys together kind of thing. Uh, yeah. sure the, uh, the movie or the comic that actually, I think that did happen. I it think. did, yeah. Um, I'm sure that there's definitely entertainment value to be had there, but in terms of like just trying to understand it as something in canon, it would probably would never work. Um, and like Ash, at the end of the day, he kills deadites and stuff, and he kills you know he's he's fucking survives. Mm-hmm. But I don't know how he do against an unkillable tank of a human being or like zombie and a dream <laughs> demon at the same time. Like I it's don't a know. lot. It, you know, it's a lot to ask. He, you know, he's been through a lot. Apparently, um, some of the arc, like character archetypes that ended up on Ash versus the Evil Dead were in the treatment for the film, which I think is kind of cool. I can see that injury. That could be, yeah. Did you, did you watch that show? Oh, yeah. I love that series. I All never... I kind of wish there was a fourth... I'm I'm actually happy that it got three seasons. I think that like I'm grateful well, that that. The thing happened. is, though, if you it, like in terms of Evil Dead lore, Army of Darkness, the UK ending, the original ending, he oversleeps by a hundred years and he wakes up in the post-apocalypse, right? And the whole thing was going to be set up as if there was an Evil Dead four based on that ending would have been like a post-apocalyptic Evil Dead. So Mad Max meets Evil Dead, oh. and then the third. Se- spoilers by the way the third season of ash versus evil dead ends with post-apocalyptic evil dead oh so we're never gonna get it yeah twice they set that up and twice we're not getting it that's kind of poetic though yeah kind of beautiful. It, no, it, it, it fits the series that's for sure but well, but i remember seeing that original because i bought again i subscribed to victoria to fang for fangoria <laughs> and uh 
<laughs> and in the back of Fangoria, there was a Toronto-based VHS seller called Video Vortex that I used to order from, probably in the late 90s. And what they would sell would be bootlegs, but not necessarily, but like dubs, VHS dubs of the uncut international versions of movies that had, didn't have copyright because they, weren't, they were work prints and unfit. So the first time I saw that original ending of Army of Darkness was on a VH, I think a Japanese VHS bootleg of Captain Supermarket, which is the Japanese title for Army of Darkness. <laughs> so I, you know, I, I imported this thing. You know, you send away, you wait six weeks. You basically fill out a form. You, well, no, you have to call them. They mail you a form. You fill out the form. You mail it to them. And about six weeks later, you get your tapes. That was the, that was. Uh, the, it makes it so much better than just being able to go to YouTube. Oh yeah. So much that's, more rewarding. I saw like Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer and uh, Brain Dead, which is. Whoa. The, did you know that Henry Portrait of the Serial Killer, the director, I think it's. John Mountain. Yeah. Did you know he was in serious talks to direct Freddy vs. Jason back in the like 90s? Oh yeah. Where they were seriously considering making it like a, uh, a courtroom horror movie, like where they yeah, put that's... Jason on trial for the murders. There's been a number of courtroom Freddy and Jason movies in the pipeline that I don't understand. They, they gave us that ending on Evil Dead and then pulled it away twice. Is... I didn't even know that existed. I have to find that. I, I love it. It's on the, um, the, two, the, newest, uh, the newest Screen Factory Army of Darkness uh, Blu-ray has that ending. Uh, and I think the bootleg edition, the old DVD that's like looks like brown paper, that has it as well i I remember that i also remember some early dvd edition where they made it look like the book of the dead and i remember being in i have that on my shelf for the first they did it too as well though that was so wild so to shift a little bit do you have any like long-running franchises that you're particularly drawn to in the horror world maybe ones that are a little bit get a little bit less airtime than freddie or jason Phantasm. One of the great unmade scripts was the Roger Avery Phantasm script. They just couldn't get the money. Roger to. Avery did a Phantasm script. Yeah, but it was it was much bigger budget. It would have taken place after Phantasm Four, because and a tiny little bits of ideas for it ended up in Phantasm Ravager. Uh, this thing called the Bag Plague, which essentially was a disease that was going around the world. And uh-huh. if you got infected with it, your head swelled up and exploded, and then shrapnel a, a piece of your skull flew and not like drove into people all around them infecting them or killing them and that, that was part of the roger avery script wow uh, relatable actually yeah, exactly <laughs> uh, but yeah phantasm for sure uh i'm i'm pretty partial to uh the tremor series all of them like they're, they're so good and they keep coming yeah they keep but even like the, the like for all the direct-to-video stuff they've got a pretty consistent quality to them uh oh, i i love a quality direct-to-video moment yeah. that's like why like some of those wrong turns do exactly what they're supposed to do some of them yep yeah yeah <laughs> chucky i mean i, I like pretty much oh all those just get better and well here and there those are good well, i mean even the weaker ones of the series are still highly watchable to me like um, what are the weaker ones though like I, they're just so i feel I like yeah they're I, all good i think part three is a little okay dry. yeah part uh, three I like it, that was that was the first i think that was the first chucky movie i saw as a kid mm. um, and i did like it a lot but rewatching it's brutal it I, there, there's like um with like a garbage oh, yeah garbage yeah. truck death on that one yep. that sat with me oh it's good it's just like i think after how the high of two which i think <sighs> is probably so the best good. in the series i mean I, I i say this knowing don mancini and having met tom holland and hoping that they don't hear this podcast and go wait you're like two better than one oh they will. <laughs> no, they will and i think it's just more this the visual style and and uh what chucky is coalesces much 
tighter to me in two than part one. But one mm-hmm. is, you know, obviously a horror classic. Oh, um, so but I just like that every single Chucky movie is, is the same writer and they get more and more um, uh, queer as they go on. They're, they're like yeah. the queerest horror series. By far. You know, I, I'm not, I'm not uh, personally LGBTQ+, plus, uh, but, you know, I have to appreciate that how forward-thinking they are and how, how embraced they were by that community. And, yeah, and- even tra- like they were so early to talk about trans issues. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. How, I, I don't remember if they did it well or not, but I, I remember being surprised that in 2005 they were doing it. Oh yeah, well that movie like you can tell the tone of that movie because John Waters is in it and uh, and like all right, like, it's 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 a full on comedy and they knew it and it's uh, yeah. on as a cult item and it, I just think some movies are ahead of their time and it takes years for them to be properly appreciated. Oh yeah. Um, in terms of other franchises though, I'm just trying to think of something a little bit more obscure. I like the whole Dead series a lot. It's not obscure, but the you know the George Romero's entire yeah. Dead people don't people don't go to it in the same way that we go to some of the other ones. No, uh, but I think they're they're headier movies for the most part, and they're not like Dawn of the Dead is a is a stone cold classic, and so is Night of the Living Dead, and even Day of the Dead to an extent is uh, <laughs> is is very very rewatchable, but they're not fun horror movies. Did I hear they're making a, like a TV series on Day of the Dead? Or did yeah, I they're doing that? Well, Steve Kostansky's directing the first four episodes. Okay, uh, so very cool. I was always surprised they never did much with that in like modern times. Well, I, I, I actually work, I don't know if I can even oh, talk. I worked oh, on the second one for a bit before they completely redrafted. Okay, the second maybe. remake, I was Day of the Dead I yeah. remember it coming out. I, don't, I remember people not being kind about it. Yeah, before the script they went with, I spent a couple months uh, drafting and pitching and talking with Millennium uh, on that project. And I, ha- I still have cool. the Bible of what my version of it would be. It was basically Snowpiercer, but Day of the Dead. That was, if I was to mash two things together and explain it. Did I'm they have the money that. to do that? No. They, <laughs> no, not, no. Really, not really. That was part of the reason. And it was, but, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, the one Steve's doing, from what I can tell, is it all takes the reason it's called Day of the Dead, aside from it being from what the plot description says, it, it seems to all take place in 24 hours. So the whole okay. season is like a day, the first day of the dead. like the Living up to its break. name. Yeah. So oh, not I very like similar it. to the other one, but. I liked Land of the Dead, maybe because I don't, I don't no, know. Land of the Dead's I, I, I love it. First of all, it's like the most Toronto, oh, I think yeah. the most Toronto production you'll ever yeah. see. But, but um, even uh, Diary and Survival, like Diary oh, yeah. is 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 a, pretty interesting. Survival is a full on comedy, and I think I, I saw that at TIFF. I think it was yeah. crazy. It's it's a Hatfields McCoy spoof comedy to some degree. Like it's the characters are serious, but the movie is not. And uh, I think a part of the reason that that wasn't well received was people were expecting a horror movie. He gave them a weird comedy western. Horror comedy. <laughs> I don't know how it makes money I, I love to see it but i know that it's it's a it tricky doesn't. one i mean some of it does but most of it yeah yeah it, it's so tricky between two stools is what they call that it's it's not quite horror enough and it's not quite comedy enough it's and it's both if you don't have one of them dominating like the ones that work like sean and the dead mm-hmm. all the comedy comes from the characters and it's well written and like that you know that punches way above its up above its budget and its weight because the characters are so good. But when the horror happens, it's still serious horror. Like it's, you know, they lose their family members and the things, uh-huh. people are actually in danger. I think it's the winking stuff where it's just like they're swinging for the fences on trying to be funny, you know, where it's just a lot of jokes. That stuff usually doesn't work too well. Yeah, it can't be funny on purpose in some ways. If it's funny, like by accident, well, I mean, it, it, it could work. If it's funny, it's usually funny on purpose, but telling a joke 
Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. So if you could direct or, or create an entry into like a, f- a, a, a franchise that's kind of over and done with, uh, what would it be? Critters movie, probably. They are. The, the, there was Critters Attack and the, the web series that's on Shudder. Um, right, the web I'm not going to talk about those so much. Uh, you know, Critters is hit and miss, but I think there's some real potential for a really, really, really good sequel there. Or oh, yeah. sequel, reboot, whatever the hell you want to call it. Just, I think what would make it work is if they're treated seriously, but they're still intelligent aliens. Oh, I don't know. You haven't seen them, right? Okay. The thing about critters that makes them special to me is that they are highly intelligent aliens with a language and they can talk to each other and they can plan and they can manipulate. Uh, they're like gremlins, but more intelligent. So uh-huh. they can manipulate tools. They fucking fly spaceships. So really, and the, the other side of it is there's bounty hunters in the movies that are shapeshifters that like try and take down the critters. So those two elements, uh, if treated kind of seriously, could make a really cool movie as long as you don't lose the charm of what these of the puppets of actually making like what they actually do. What if um, they are like, okay, we're going to let you create a new critters movie, but it has to be CGI. What would you do? Not do it. You wouldn't come on. You wouldn't do it. No. Well, I hope I, I want to make a movie that every horror film will hate. Yeah, we will. We will be bad. <laughs> I mean, the reality true. of it is, is I'm not, I'm not really a mercenary. I'm still pretty early in my career. And I, I, I know it, it's dumb to say this, but there are certain things that you have to stick to your guns on. And if I know going into something that I'm going to make something that everybody's going to hate anyway, and it's just going to damage my career, why would I do it? I'm with you. I'd like to say I'm the same way, but I have never seen, you know, like a big check before. So I feel like I don't know what I would do. Well, I, but I feel like I w- it wouldn't be that big a check ultimately because it, it, like <laughs> at the level seven, you could no. get from, of a, a, like in an ideal world and it's an actual like solid budget. That's yeah. Thing. But like to, to get a critter sequel done, it would probably be on the sci-fi channel level. Oh um, yeah, for sure. You make decent money, but you know, it'd be, a, it would be a year's wage, which is great. But then you got to live with it for the rest of your life. And I'm not <laughs> yeah. saying that, uh, I wouldn't do a sci-fi channel. Uh huh. No Alan Smithy production. No, well, no. I mean, I would like the actual productions have worked there. Uh, I've got no problems with them. It's more just it's got to be the right project and mm-hmm. the right approach to the project. Mm-hmm. And if it's if it's not, if it seems like you know, well, every ten minutes we need to have the CGI creature jump out. It's like, well, that's not story necessarily. That's a checklist. I would rather not do that kind of movie. And you can smell that from a mile away when when people are not passionate behind a project. I don't want to just pump out a product. I, you know, so if, if I was ever involved in any of these franchises, you know, I would want it to be as good as it possibly could be. Do you have any like specs that you've been sitting on that you pr- may not be made and we can know about? Not for franchises, no. Okay. Like, I, the, the only stuff I've worked on is, is like of franchises or of um, other IPs that I don't own is that brief amount of time I was working on Day of the Dead. Uh, I worked on Coffin Joe. Uh, which they were going to do a U.S. remake. I can't talk about who was in it or any of that, but I, I was I was on that and drafting treatments and stuff on, like that and back and cool. forth with the producers for a while on that one. So were some other people I know. That, that I'm not going to go into all the details there. Uh, and very, very briefly, we were involved in possibly producing a, a remake, an English-language remake of uh, Sergio Martino's Torso, which uh, is an old Italian giallo film that its Italian title is The Body Shows No Sign of Carnal Violence. Okay. Yeah, I, w- I wasn't involved in the script in that. Serena Whitney was, but we were, uh, we were working okay. with um, the director's daughter. 
and uh, we spent a good year back and forth on that one. And uh, so those three properties are the only IPs that I don't own that I've ever like been involved with in any way. I guess briefly, I was trying to help get a street trash remake made, the original creators um, uh-huh. and Matt Mandaritis and stuff. But I like, this is all, you know, you, projects come your way, you try and push them out to other places. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't have any like, we don't have specs uh, necessarily that, that I just wrote being like, oh, I would love to make a franchise movie because it feels like a ton of work for something that you don't even know you can get the rights to or the possibility mm-hmm. of it. And it's just like, totally. uh, there's, but the, we, there's other stuff too. Like um, the Mark of Cain obviously is based on the book. We, we optioned the rights to. So we're what trying was it? to- Sorry? Mark of Cain. It's based mm-hmm. on a book called Cain, written by Michael Prescott, originally published under his real name, Douglas Borton. But we've been trying to get that, get that made for almost five years now, maybe longer than five years. Yeah, we optioned it in 2014, so oh, God. Um, it is six years. Um, well, we were supposed to go to camera earlier this year, but uh, mm. I'm casting in January when COVID hit. It seemed uh, it seemed like it was going. I don't know if it will. Speaking of adaptations, like, do you have any fantasy adaptations? In- books, you mean? Yeah, anything, really. But I'd yeah, books do, specifically. Yeah, I'd love to do Dean Koontz's Dark Fall. I think that'd be a really fun movie. What's that about? So, I don't know that one. I really like Little Monsters, I've said before. Darkfall is about a mob war and one of the various factions uh, is into voodoo and uh, dark magic. They basically um, summon a bunch of these imp-sized demons to go and kill. And and it's an investigation thing because it's like these crime scenes are just insane and you have no idea why they're so fucked up. And then you realize it's all these little tiny fucking imp demons that just Uh, tear people apart. It's the tiny demons that do the the biggest damage. Have you read read Intensity? It's the only Dinkoo. Yeah, oh yeah, I've read it. There was a TV movie movie of Intensity. I think Stephen Dorff or Stephen Baldwin was in it, one of the two of them. One of the Stevens? I just remember it being very similar to the plot of High Tension and I was really a suspect. Mm, It is. Darkfall for sure. And the other one is Dark Harvest, but uh, that's being made by... uh, uh, David Slade now. It's a great book though. Hell of a book. We tried to get the rights. All right. Well, this has been super fun. I feel like I've held on to you for way longer than I said that I would have. Oh well. But I really appreciate you being our first guest and everything. Thank you so much and no enjoy the rest of the pandemic. Okay. <laughs> oh, I will. <laughs> you will. Sweet. All right. Well, bye for now. Thank you so much for listening. And if you could do me a favor of subscribing and liking and telling a friend about this new podcast, that would be really cool. And I hope you keep listening and we'll be back next week with another episode of Development Hell. Squad.